Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, welcome to the 304th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patrons Ryan Kindall, Lala Halsema, and Juan Sebastian Barone. I'm Matt Enlow. And I'm Warren Kaplan. And today, it's just the two of us, yet again, chatting your ears off about goals, about the freelancer's dilemma in 2022. I feel like our last episode was, you know, do I need to live in LA in 2022? And I feel like if we just add in 2022 to everything that comes out in January, it'll feel like we're bringing new information to people. Well, you know, I think that in the case of the goal setting topic, I think that 2022 is a big part of it. You know, I think there is something about the nature of emerging from a pandemic and emerging from all of this and kind of like taking stock and deciding what you want out of life, you know, what you want out of your career and then how to go get it. So the goal setting topic, I want to clarify, it's not about what Oren's goals are and what Matt's goals are. It's more about how one decides what goals to set and how to hold themselves accountable to them and some techniques and practices that I've developed over the years to kind of hold myself accountable, hold oneself accountable. And so hopefully it's less about us and more about the woo-woo practice of goal setting. Well, before we get into that, I'm going to throw an off-the-cuff topic to you, Mm. which is, have you been following the Sundance films and what's happening at Sundance right now? Uh, Loosely. You know, I have a handful of friends who are involved over there. So like Cara Durrett has a film playing there, you know, previous guests. I have uh, ambient awareness of what's going on at Sundance just through social media. Yeah, it is yet another weird iteration of a film festival with this all online version, which I feel so bad for the filmmakers that they have to do that. But yeah, I've kind of been trying to keep track of like what movies are coming out and who's in them and what they're about. I, I really love log lines. You know, I mm-hmm. love like mm-hmm. reading the, the blacklist, seeing what topics of movies are getting people excited. This year, I've been trying to force myself to read about the movies. Mm, Oh, interesting. My question to you is how important is it if you are a filmmaker, a newer filmmaker Mm -hmm. or someone that's trying to establish themselves in the film industry to have an awareness of Sundance and the films that are playing there? And, you know, they have an episodic program now, too. And obviously there's shorts and Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of famous actors that become directors have movies there. And and there's there's some really interesting stuff that comes out. There are a lot of people that are totally undiscovered get discovered how important is it i've got a two-part answer i would say that uh it's worth it to be aware of the headlines there's always going to be a few big stories and for the most part those are going to be the ones that are worth knowing about just having a working knowledge of who's doing what right that's i think that's valuable but i'm sure you've noticed oren that like within any 
company, call it like any sphere, because sometimes a couple companies will all work together or whatever, they'll all have their own hierarchies of who is important and why. And I always find it irksome when you go to one of those companies and they'll refer to like certain executives by their first name or whatever. And you're all kind of expected. These people expect you to know and think that the people that they think are important are as important as they think they are. That's a little harder to predict because you don't know what niche you're going to end up in or like what niche this company works in. And, you know, so there's just kind of like this cultural thing that'll be a little hard to predict, basically. You know, knowing who the major players are at all the studios, is that advantageous? Yeah, for sure. Because inevitably, you know, you don't want to put your foot in your mouth. When people say like, hey, what was your most embarrassing moment? I can think very clearly to a time when I was uh, at the Paley Center, which is where they do like all sorts of like TV events and Key and Peele were being honored. And I was asked to come and like take some behind the scenes photos and stuff. And so I got there early and it's literally just like me and Keegan and Jordan and a few Comedy Central people and one or two or three other people, all of whom I knew except for this one guy. We're all kind of hanging out or whatever. And I just kind of casually say to this well-dressed man, like, oh, you know, you look really familiar, but I don't think we've met before. Um, Hi, I'm Matt. An agent who I still hold the grudge against is like, that's Peter Principato. I mean, I know I know who Peter Principato not, is, but I would never get have any idea what he looks right. like. So so for context, he was the founder of the management company that everybody was rep by and like is the reason that that show was a thing and why many, many, right. many other Principato shows. Principato Young. Principato Young, right. Now artists first, but like you know, one of the few kings in management uh, of comedy, like a, a tastemaker. And so that is a good example of, you know, that manager, of course, knows who Peter Pinsbrado is. And I should have known because literally he's the reason that we're all there in a sense. But like every company has that person, basically. And so like you can't expect to know all of the players in every single world, every single sphere, but it's worth it to kind of like, if you're going in for a general or if you're going to be working with a company really regularly to kind of get to know the players fast because it is a thing that is going to be advantageous for you and is a thing that I consciously try to do if I'm going to really be involved with a group. Yeah. I mean, to me, they're kind of, they're obviously overlapping circles, but knowing executives and knowing like, Hey, I'm going to get a meeting with this person at Netflix to pitch this show is so different than like, Ooh, there was this movie about a Mm -hmm. young rapper or whatever. And right. You're, you're talking more about like the, the trends of things. Yeah. Like, like this year at Sundance in particular, like they're going harder in genre, you know, the Mm -hmm. the thing about that is that means that those movies were shot three years ago. Do you know what I mean? So it's kind of a, it's a little hard to get ahead of things. I think I don't think so. Or or I a year guess and a half that most ago. movies were probably shot during COVID. Is that yeah what? yeah no you're right that's that's true. But they were written three years ago. They were written right. and then you pitch and you get finance. I'm saying it takes three years to make a movie. That's all I'm saying. But I think it actually is worth noting that I I think that Sundance for the long time has had big picture big theme social issues as a a part of their mandate. And I think that they have added a little bit of genre, perhaps to kind of stand out against the Fantasias and the South Bys of the world. I think that there's a lot more weird, but still socially potent movies playing this year. I think that's kind of a, a trend worth pointing out. 
I do think I'm just self-analyzing right now. And I don't know if this is interesting to anyone else, but maybe someone else would relate to it. But I do wonder if like my uh, recent disinterest in sitting down to watch a movie in my living room stems from a, the fact that it's in my living room and not in a movie theater <laughs> and B the fact that I've been at home all day long, like sitting at my desk working that m- walking into the living room and sitting on my couch for like two, two and a half hours to watch a movie is not as fun as like just watching a TV show for a little bit. And, yeah. I think there's know. a couple things at play. I would guess that we all tend to extrapolate our, personal experience onto the marketplace and so i think that neither of us bothered to watch coda but i think that it did do okay actually for apple i think really the reason the the challenge of features right now is that the marketing dollars to really raise awareness behind these films isn't there because it doesn't totally make sense like a24 is famous for like really zeroing in on the psychographic and demographic of who specifically is going to love their film and so if you don't fit that then you're not getting marketed nearly as much and so your general awareness is down like i'm sure you're aware of the new spider-man movie and probably want to see it but like the difference between small movies that have a much smaller marketing budget and the mega movies there's just not a ton in between and what used to be in between filmically the stuff that i love the most uh now it's just a tv show i don't know hopefully movies roar back I think into I, well, existence the, but see that's what i'm saying is is that i think they are here it's just that your interests um don't totally align spider-man made a bajillion dollars last week right yeah but you're literally talking about the biggest outlier of like all time um, it's like the most sure. profitable movie during a pandemic. It's, you know, it's a giant, like four quadrant, like family friendly mm-hmm. superhero movie that is coming at the right time. That's made by like a great filmmaker that is like super accessible. That's like pretty much the favorite, mm-hmm. you know, comic book character that spans two film studios. So, yes, right. Spider-Man did. I don't think Spider-Man is the. Like is the rule, I think it's the exception. No, but what I'm saying is, though, is that like people are watching movies is what I'm saying. Yeah, and what I'm saying is I'm sure it's a very easy thing to Google, but my sense is that people are watching less movies now than they did two years ago. Sure. But yeah, why don't you guys email us? Let us know if you're watching as many movies as you did a couple years ago. Yeah, uh, I'm, I, I I'm know sure maybe, the answer is no, but, but that, maybe Andy Young is. Yeah, yeah, yeah Andy <laughs> Young is for sure. We'll see what happens, basically. Like, I think that that the leap from like, oh, viewership is down to like movies are dead is a pretty big jump. Yeah, yeah. I just think if you want anyone to see your movie, it better be a movie that no one has ever seen a movie like this before. Or it has to be the biggest blockbuster of all time. When you when someone that watches five movies a year is going to pick your movie because it's Spider-Man. Sure. You know? Well, the, the, the look, the hard fact is the, the people who only watch five movies a year aren't going to watch your independent movie. That's, that's straight right, up right. the situation, right? But there are a lot of people who watch more than five movies a year. This is a good transition, though, into goal setting. Part of what I'm trying to talk about is why we decide from a business perspective to focus on the things we want to focus on. But before we get into that, 
we should talk about our Patreon. Patreon.com slash just shoot a pod. It is the place where you can support the show. Throw us a couple bucks. Uh, and if you throw us 15 a month, you'll get yourself a Just Shoot It hat. That will be mailed, hand-mailed by me. Maybe I'll even lick the envelope. Just kidding. I send them in boxes. And you might be wondering to yourself, well, dang, I, I heard that Matt Norrin lost their editor. She's off to do big, better things. I don't want those jerks pocketing all the cash. But in fact, we found some new help. Noah is editing this episode for us. Thanks, Noah. Noah Bayshore. Thanks, buddy. Doing a great job. And so if you want to continue to keep the show going, patreon.com slash just shoot a pod. And check out Noah Bayshore's YouTube page. N-O-A-H-B-A-Y-S-H-O-R-E. Show him some love. Tell him that you found out about him from Just Shoot a Pod. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Um, okay, Matt, let's talk about the topic that you have invited me to talk about when i first started as a filmmaker had a job that i didn't like and was feeling a little lost you know some smart people and maybe some self-help gurus you know people talk about setting goals right like the mentality that if you don't think that you can get something you're not going to get the thing you're trying to get the difference between dreaming of being a filmmaker and taking the actionable steps to becoming one is just about goals. It's just about clarifying what you need to do. And I remember talking to a musician friend of mine who was really, really prolific, and he was like, just figure out what the smallest next step is in your goal and just do that and just do that over and over again, and then you'll have your thing. You know, that was pretty profound for me. It was like back when the economy had tanked, all of us were like unemployed and like 
just trying to figure out what to do with our lives. And I started doing an annual list of goals. Like a vision so board. Originally, it was they were like, you know, uh, a little more concrete than that. But yeah, yeah, not not dissimilar because, you know, not to get too woo-woo about it, but I do believe that you need to crystallize and specify what it is you're trying to do for yourself before you can really go yeah. out and do it. You're going to manifest your destiny. Right. Exactly, exactly. Um I, I think that's true. I think that's for real. And so, uh, you know, I used to do them in like notebooks, but uh, now I just have a Google Doc that I clone every year. Do I achieve all of the goals that I set for that year? No, of course not. But you're kind of forced to be aware of like, oh, dang, I didn't do this thing that I really want to do. Do I still want to do it? Maybe, maybe not. So the reason that uh, I've been thinking about this so much is that, you know, there are a lot of big life goals that I met this year. Right. And yeah. the, this the, that'll be the segue into the, the bigger, better part of this topic. But, you know, as a quick drive by, the way that I structure mine is I try to give it a little bit of a headline. You know, I try to say like my breakout year or this or that or whatever. This one was just my big year. And I think it was meant to just be like about cornerstones. And so I have like general goals of I write and direct feature films, TV commercials, that sort of stuff. I do do a logline of like what sort of creative work I want to be doing. I would like entertaining, witty, heartfelt, funny, innovative, mad and low, like is something that's written. This is again, pretty embarrassing, but you know, here we are. Um, But it is a way of saying, I want to be witty. I want to be heartfelt. These are things I'm focusing on. These are things I want to bring out in my work or tell people about my work. Right. For instance, when you're writing it and you're like, okay, well I said entertaining, witty, heartfelt, raunchy violent subversive regressive you know like you could see those words and be like am i focused does this make sense am i all of those things and if so how do i explain that to people you know it forces you to kind of just crystallize what it is you're aiming for but it's stuff like direct four broadcast campaigns direct six branded spots or sketches learn blender learn sure stuff like that yeah that stuff would totally be on there focus more on writing that sort of stuff and i kind of divided it up there's some like watch goals as well and things like that. And, and do you this, associate anything with like a time, like try to do this once a week mm-hmm. or by, by June? Yeah, this was a good one. Like I will update my commercial reps quarterly and then I have Q1, Q2, Q3, Q4. And so those are spots basically for the work that I do in that time to be like, oh, these are the things that I'm going to reach out to people about basically. And so you can't know what campaign you shoot in Q1 that's worth bringing up to your reps. But so you leave that part blank. And so there's a little bit of a worksheet, you know, and I would cross things out as I go as well. Regular listeners of the show will know there was stuff about having a kid on there. There was stuff about buying a house. There's stuff about making this movie with my wife. That plus emerging from a pandemic has put me in a pretty thoughtful frame of mind because those were the big ones that, you know, I was alluding to that buying a house was on there for a long time and would roll over year over year over year. And like the subheading of like, save X amount of money or like get pre-qualified or, you know, those, those little steps you kind of have to break out a little bit more. So it's, it can't just be the headline. It has to, the, the point of it is to say, okay, like these are the incremental steps that I need to meet in order to get to that goal. And so again, there's a worksheet mentality to it, but now it's got me thinking about that next round of things that I want to do. And more importantly, and this is the question for you, Oren. Why do you pick the goals you pick? 
Yeah, it's a good question. And I've had my lists. I've had, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I was really into to-do lists for a while and they mm-hmm. would be categorized with kind of long-term goals, mm-hmm. short-term goals. I've not, I've not done a great job of setting specific goals over this last year. I mean, we've had an episode where we had Roxy on and we talked about that and I, I know the things I want to do. I, I want to, you know, make bigger commercials. I want to, can, can I, yeah, I want you to hold that thought. I want to specify a little bit there though, because I think that the, the language we use around things like this I think can be really important and powerful and again, help you realize what it is you want. Wishy-washy words like bigger are different than broadcast, national, million dollar or whatever. Do you know what I mean? It's okay to say bigger for sure, but it's clearer if you can kind of specify a little bit more because it could just be a quantity thing or it could be the size of the project that's important to you or like, like a feature is a good example of like, you can make a feature for $5, you can make a feature for $500 million. And those are two pretty drastically different goals. And it's worth it to just be like, any feature is fine. A micro budget feature is fine. A studio feature is fine. But they're kind of three different pathways. Do you know what I mean? If you were explicit with yourself of saying Geico is a perfect example, I want to direct a Geico commercial this year. There are some things that you could do that could increase the odds of you getting that commercial rather than being a little bit more general of like bigger and better, which is what we both do. Like you could, you know, build relationships with the people who are making those commercials. You could tailor your reel more towards that style of advertising. You know, there are things that you can do that yeah, certainly I mean, the wouldn't most guarantee anything. I but, could, you know. Yeah, I can make, shoot some specs that are in right. that world. And, That's kind of and, the most obvious thing. I, and this it, is, it's important to make sure the reason that I'm picking this out is not because it's essential one way or the other. But I, I guess I'm just trying to illustrate to people at home that that specificity does force you to consider how to make that specific goal happen. And so the, the, the more specific you are, the clearer you can be with yourself. That's all. Yeah, for sure. I think goals are super, super important, especially writing related Mm -hmm. stuff, creating, being creative on your own, learning new tools, um, networking. Uh, but in terms of like the, literally writing like i want to make a million dollar feature that has Mm -hmm. this specific actor in it or something sure i can write that down and work towards it but big goals are a little harder to see the clear path of how to get them but maybe Mm -hmm. like smaller goals or Mm -hmm. you know i want to meet with like five commercial production companies and here's out of this list of 15 and that's like very realistic i feel like i'm digging in my heels a little bit and maybe i maybe you're helping me reestablish my convictions and and processes on this the big picture goals even if they're hard to achieve right now because of present circumstances they do help you kind of whittle down what those short-term goals are the the idea like if it was hey i want to do a super bowl commercial Mm -hmm. then you can say okay well who are the companies that make those you'd go ahead and take a look at who's making those commercials right and then you'd see what friends you have in common with the people who make those commercials. So you'd get introductions to those people and, you know, meet meet them for coffee or whatever. They'd look at your reel. They'd probably say, oh, you know what, Orin, you really need more celebrities on your reel. And so there's a handful of very tangible short-term things that you would do just from that single goal, right? 
list all of the people, like do all of that research, make it a, a point to like hit up a handful of your friends to see who can make those introductions, all of that stuff. And, and maybe even saying yes to some smaller jobs that are a little more celebrity oriented so that you can cut a 30 second version of the GQ thing that you did or whatever. But you hear what I'm saying, right? And like, will that guarantee that you get your Super Bowl commercial? Probably not. But all of that work still does give you focus and lead to bigger and better things. I think it's nice to, especially as a freelancer, to wake up in the morning and have a list of things that you can do right now that are going to further you in some way. And the, the Google doc thing, you asked how frequently I looked at it. And the answer was when I was feeling lost, when I was feeling untethered, right? You you should use maps, Google maps. (laughs) You know, you tried to do at least once a quarter, but like when things got slow or when things were, Um, unclear for me it was a nice way to remind myself of what I was aiming at so speaking of goals and and other things that freelancers are have to worry about a lot so the other thing that I've been thinking a lot about lately and we'll just talk about very quickly is given the current uh, state of the economy and inflation and how things are getting more expensive I've been thinking about my rate like my day rate you know Mm -hmm. I'm mainly direct I'd say that's like my primary uh, mm-hmm. job and where I do most of my work and make most of my income from. But uh, on the side and between gigs, I also enjoy uh, working as a visual effects artist. And we've talked about this a lot on the podcast, directing mainly commercials, which is what I've done, or even like episodic stuff. Usually you either have a, you have a flat rate per project, mm-hmm. right? And it, it doesn't really matter how much time it takes you. With something more like a visual effects artist or any crew member, you know, if you're a grip or a sure. PA or whatever, usually it's a, a day rate or a weekly rate. So my day rates with a lot of, I've you know, been doing this for a long time and a lot of the people I get hired by are the same people that have been hiring me for many years and I've I've kind of scooted my day rates up a little bit here and there, but I've realized that I think my day rate for especially visual effects work could be and should be much higher than it mm-hmm. is. But it's hard for me to like talk to the producer that's hired me for 10 movies in a row and say, by the way, my rate is 35% higher my day rate than it was on the project you hired well, me for last week. Partially because you imagine them being like, oh man, I got Orin's the guy he's really, really good and he gives me a great rate. It's, yeah. It's, it's how you imagine the the backroom conversations about who they should hire are happening, right? Yeah, I imagine you can go to the mill, you can go to Digital Domain or whatever mm-hmm. company exists now. You can go to ILM and you can go mm-hmm. to, right, um, these various places to do your, what a digital to do your visual sure. effects or a company. Rhythm even, and Hughes. Yeah, or Sorry. even um, like Barnstorm anymore. VFX or kind sure. of those mid-sized companies. They do a lot of TV shows or you can get the person, the mm. like cliche person, like VFX the artist that works out of their garage. Yeah. 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 And I believe that I am in that final category where I do it all. I get the files, I load them up, I set them up, I figure out the color space and bit rates and all those things. I do the design of all the artwork. Mm. I do the visual effects art. I deliver it. I do the notes. There's no producer. There's mm-hmm. there's no one else. It's just me that does all. And you know, every once in a while, I'll subcontract someone for something really specific. But ninety five percent of the time, it's just me by myself doing this work. So I 
imagine that, yes, I am the inexpensive person that can turn mm-hmm. shots around really fast. And, uh, and if I charge too much, you might as well go to the mill, you know, or a place where you well, have more specialists and VFX artists that are really, this person does explosions. This one does wire removal. This I think does it's probably paintings. It's worth it to slice this up into two different things though, then, right? Because really what we're talking about is that you're absorbing a lot of the overhead, right? Mm-hmm. And this works for like colorists, I think as yeah. well. There's a handful of different kind of mo- more post oriented people. Right. But like, even if you're a makeup artist, right, you, you bring your table and your mirror and your mm-hmm. lights and your makeup kit. But and there's there, a kit fee. There are, it, it, that is different though. So I think it's, it's worth talking about them in kind of two different lights, right? Like when you go to a color house, you're paying for the receptionist and you're paying for lunch and you're paying for the couches and all of that and the stuff. projectors and, and yeah. the projector, it, right? And so the the nerd in the garage doesn't have any of that stuff. And so I think there's a pretty good argument towards charging more. Have a conversation about like, hey, listen, I'm not charging you a ton of overhead. No one wants to pay for that. But my rate is this, I think is a good point of leverage. The makeup artist, I think, has like a, a, a is a slightly different conversation, right? Because, yeah, they do have a kit fee and things like that. We're really just talking about the time rather than being compared to a a larger entity basically yeah and a lot of times you know i'm sure you've had this you work with an art department and the Mm -hmm. production designer is just going to do the artwork for this wall that was described in the script and you're like shouldn't we hire like a real artist like Mm -hmm. painter to Mm -hmm. do that and there's that debate and you're like well it's way cheaper if you know she just does it right um but yeah, I guess to me, the, the thing that compounds it is the fact that it's the same person that's been hiring me at a lower rate for a long time. Right. And is well, there, do I need to acknowledge that? Do I just need to say, hey, by the way, my I've raised my rates. I did raise my rates a tiny bit to not mm-hmm. scare this producer that hires me a lot. Mm-hmm. But I wish I would have raised them more. I think that I am the wrong person to ask. But since we're on a podcast together... Uh, what I would do is I would reach out to other peers mm-hmm. um, in a similar range and tell them what you've been getting paid and ask them what they've been getting paid. I think the answer is like sharing information with people on the same level because then because what, what we're really saying is you're scared that you're going to raise your rates and the producer is going to be like, okay, well, I'll go to you know, Schmorin's garage. Schmorin's garage is so Schmorin, much nicer than mine. And, and even though Oren's work is better than Schmorin's, Schmorin's undercutting you. You know, Schmorin doesn't have a mortgage or kids and he's straight out of school and he's going to take your work and he's going to be happy about it, right? That's really what we're talking That's why you're worried about raising your rate. That's what we're talking about, right? And so I think we're just talking about internalized capitalism here, Oren. This is just like the economic anxieties of people who are forced into a gig economy, right? Yeah, and um, I think this would apply to editors, to PAs, to mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, anyone that works in a creative art because, you know, we've, we've learned to undervalue ourselves. Well, I, I think the uh, PAs, for better or worse, um, will get replaced. For worse, they will get replaced. They'll be like, companies will be like, this is what our rate is. 
Right. There's but not, if you, there's not room for negotiation in quite the same way. Yeah. For a company, if you're doing like an indie film and you're like, Hey, we're going to pay you 75 bucks a day and you have this great PA for a week. And then they're like, Hey, I guess the PA probably wouldn't raise their rate, but they could say, Hey, I got another gig. You could see them saying like, okay, we'll pay you sure. twice I as mean, much. I mean, a DP certainly will do that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, cinematographer you know, for sure. People, we're really talking about people who have a little bit more leverage. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And I think the advice still stands. Talk to other people. Learn what the market will bear. And then you have a better way of assessing. Maybe you've been un- underpaid this whole time or maybe... You know, I guarantee you, you could raise your rates and be still below a lot of other places. So yeah, I would just ask, ask a few people. And then the other answer is incrementally raise your rate every year. Just make it the, at the beginning of every year, like, Hey, this is just kind of standard of living race. You know, I'm getting a little bit better. It's my regular 5% bump or whatever it is. Well, Matt, now that we've figured out life. Uh, do you mind hanging out and endorsing something with me real quick? Unpaid endorsements. Um, Kaplan, you got anything? I do. Ooh, kick it off, buddy. Okay, so my endorsement is a Reddit thread that I found through Dig, which I get. It's about stonks. It's about stonks. It's called Wall Street Bets. <laughs> I find out about these things through this like daily newsletter from Dig, D-I-G-G, which I love. It's kind of like just like what's cool on the internet today. And so the title of the Dig article is this Reddit thread of the things people do for work and how much they earn might leave you doubting your career choices. Mm. Uh, it's a really, really good thing. So someone on Reddit just posted, what is your job and how much do you get paid? I'll just read a few of them. Significant Boot 7180 says, I am a paraprofessional in an elementary school. I spend most of my time in a self-contained kindergarten to fifth grade classroom of mostly nonverbal students with autism. Occasionally I float to other classrooms. I make around $20,000 a year. I love my job, but the pay is insulting. (laughs) My mother was a special ed teacher. I mean, it's insane, right? Professional yeah, theater actress, current job $568 a week before taxes. Um, so, and it's in order of like people. Mm-hmm. So I'll just read like a random one from the bottom. Underwater welder, 296000 annually. Whoa, look out. Yeah, ad sales at Google. I sell ads for Google. My base salary is 185 k a year. Plus and I made And I made 415 k last year after my quarterly bonuses. Yeah. So... It's sometimes you just realize like, holy crap, I make so much more or so much less than some of these people that have these, (sighs) these odd jobs. And it, I mean, you know, there's like all this been talk for years about transparency and how much people make. I guess the best way to find it is either it'll be posted on our website at justshootapod.com. You can also just look up, ask Reddit jobs salary. And I think you'll find the thread I'm talking about. It's pretty good. Pretty good. What do you get? So uh, my recommendation, as we've talked about, I, uh, I've realized that I love cooking over the pandemic in particular. It's really been a thing that has been really nice and fun for me. So I'm going to recommend a specific type of pot, but the, the brand in general is called Donks. <laughs> D-O-N-K-S? D-A-N-S-K. Donsk. Oh, Donsk. Okay. Donsk. You can Donsk if you want to. Yeah. And specifically, I'm going to recommend a butter warmer, which is a small pot with just like a little handle um, and like a little bit of a spout. 
and it is i think the prettiest thing in my kitchen i have a yellow one it's got a little lid that has kind of a built-in trivet to it so like you can cut you heat things on it it's got a walnut handle that's like ideal for hot chocolate it looks exactly like something i would imagine in your kitchen (laughs) i have a yellow one and boy just if you need to heat up a little bit of soup to heat up soup is it's something that like you don't want to bring out the giant pot for you know so my recommendation is to to have a, a butter warmer which again you use for for other things besides butter it's almost like the size of a of a large coffee mug like joey from friends would drink a latte out of a mug this size it's very handsome you can leave it on the stovetop it looks great um but is is great for warming and cooking things that are one or two servings basically um and has uh, given me a significant amount of joy so uh a Koben style butter warmer from Donsk specifically well thanks matt uh thank you all for listening if you want to find out more about this episode and the things we talked about go to just shoot pod.com we also would love to hear from you just shoot pod at gmail.com we read all the emails personally it's great to hear from you and if you want to find us on social media or across all social media at just shoot it pod i'm on instagram at okaplin i'm on twitter at smitey pileg and i'm at mr matt enlo this episode was edited by noah bayshore thanks noah and you're listening to music provided by the free music archive and the artist jazar thanks we'll everyone catch you next time bye Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.